0: What's up? Salt Company, if I have not met you yet or you're new here, uh, my name is Colin. I have the privilege of working on staff here at Soul Company. I want to reiterate what Josie said. Uh, if I haven't met you, whether you're new or you've been coming and just haven't uh, had the chance to meet you yet, please come find me. Introduce yourself to me. Would, would love uh, to get to know you. This week, uh, if you're new or coming back, this is a great week to be here because we're jumping in to a new sermon series. Uh, and we're going to be going through the book of Daniel. And so uh, in the book of Daniel, we're going to see stories of kings and kingdoms, different stories of a man named Daniel and his friends, um, stories of that are like really crazy um and in that I think we're going to we're going to be able to trace the movement of God, the hand of God, the way he works through his people, the way he provides for his people, the way he protects his people and the way he teaches his people. And in teaching his people, I think he's going to teach us something about himself, about glorifying his name, making him more famous in in our lives and in the world. And so tonight we're going to introduce the book, introduce the main characters, um, and really cover uh, the beginnings of Daniel. So if you have a Bible, we're going to Daniel 1. uh, It's kind of a weird section of your Bible, so you can use the table of contents. Otherwise, pull out your phone. Also, if you want a paperback Bible, we have one and would love to give them to you. So grab one on your way out. Um, As I was getting ready for this uh, message, I was thinking... I was praying, I was reading through the book of Daniel, and then the thought came to me, uh, you guys, I, maybe this is just true of me, but when people are really good at things, does it annoy you? Um, it really annoys me, like when my friends or people I know are good at things, I get annoyed. It's not that I don't like them, it's just I get annoyed, so I was thinking about annoying people I've met throughout my life. Um, one of them was a really good friend of mine, a pretty good friend in middle school, and at recess in middle school, I, yes, I had recess in middle school, okay? Most middle schoolers don't. I did. A recess in middle school, we would play football, and it was just unfair because uh, my friend w- Carter was bigger, faster, stronger, and better at football than everyone there. I remember going home and telling my parents, I was like, Mom and Dad, I think Carter's going to play in the NFL someday, and they're like, Colin do you know how hard it is to play in the NFL? I was like, I think so, but maybe not. Um, So fast forward like 10 years, I get my paycheck from Salt City, and he gets his paycheck from the New York Giants. So he actually plays in the NFL. Uh, Another friend of mine, Max, uh, growing up, I played percussion, you know, drums, different things. Symbols, triangle, all the things. It was fun, guys. I didn't play in high school. I'm not that good. I can't drip on the drum set like Austin can. Uh, but my friend Max was just, like, really good uh, growing up. And I remember thinking, like, man, Max is going to create a career out of music. Uh, so then, fast forward, we didn't go to high school together, but we kind of kept in touch. I remember reaching out to Max, like, Max, where are you going to school, man? Like, Have you picked a school? Which that's, you know, just a stressful process, good way to keep in touch with someone. He's like, yeah, I'm just deciding between going to Stanford for music and Duke for soccer. Annoying. He's like, better at things than I am, right? A couple couple quick ones to end it. Went to school with a guy named Jacob. You know, like junior year of high school, you kind of start asking people, like, yeah, what would you get on your ACT score? Like, what school are you going to get into? Found out he got a 36, but took it in eighth grade. Real story. Jacob got a 36 on his ACT in eighth grade. That's frustrating. Uh, last one. Here's guys. Here's what I realized. I'm never gonna be that great at something. Uh, so if you're never gonna be that great at something, marry someone who's great at things. So I'm gonna just brag on my on my wife for a little for a couple seconds. Her name's Rachel. Uh, I hung out with her dad this last weekend. Her dad really brags on her. Um, He's like. Colin, you don't know this because you didn't know Rachel when she was in high school, but she holds the Iowa State record for ERA at 0.00. True, you can look it up. She's an amazing pitcher. And he's like, Yeah, and did you also know she hit over 500 that same season? It's so like, goodness, that is crazy. She ended up playing softball at the U, got hurt, anyway. But she also is starting her own art business. She's like decorated our whole house by painting things. It's annoying. I mean, like, I love my wife, but it is annoying how good she is at just, like, things that I'm not good at. Uh, anyway, we we get annoyed, or I get annoyed, when people are great at things, because I want to be great. Like, I want to be someone who is great, but when I, like, look in the mirror, I'm not tall enough, strong enough, skilled enough, smart enough to be great at things, or at least. To seemingly be great at things. And so tonight, we're going to look at a story of a man who's great, but we're also going to be able to follow his story, and, and I think if we follow the steps he takes, we can also become great. If we live life like he lives it, we can become great, and so tonight, that man is Daniel, He's the hero of the book. That's why the book is called Daniel, but it's also called Daniel because he wrote the book. So you're going to see that he refers to himself in the third person. A little bit weird, but that, that's what we're going to see. So Daniel is the hero, Daniel's also the author. And when we open up Daniel 1, well, what we, you have to know a little backstory is that Daniel's a 15 year old boy that lives in a country called Judah. And in Judah, he's from a prominent family. Likely, he's of royal descent, or his family's well-known. Not only is he from a prominent family, but he's like a stunning, handsome young man. He's smart. He's skilled. He's like a 15-year-old savant that has a, like an amazing future. If you grew up in Judah and you're like, who is going to be a celebrity, hang out with the celebrities, be the person to know, it would have been Daniel. He's, a, he's like an amazing 15-year-old. But at the right at the first verse of Daniel 1, everything about his life changes. Because Daniel lives in Judah. But at 600 B.C., at this time, there's an emerging empire in the world known as the Babylonian Empire. And Babylon wants to extend its reach as far as it can. And so Babylon invades Judah, and it takes its most precious things. It goes to its temple and it takes the valuable and holy things and it goes to its schools and it takes their most promising young people. And so Daniel is one of the people that's taken, he's kidnapped, he's a prisoner of war and brought to the capital of this Babylonian empire called Babylon. The city's called Babylon and the empire's called Babylon. Uh, And this is where we pick up the story in verse 3. This is what it says. Then the king who's called Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility, used without blemish of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Okay, so Daniel is one of these men. He's of noble birth. He's skilled. He's someone that the king looks at and says, you might be worthy to stand in my presence. And a king at that time was known for being great by how great the people around him were. So that king is only going to allow great people in his presence because if he doesn't allow great people in his presence, he is not a great king. So we see the, the eunuch come take Daniel. And what we know about eunuchs is that they're men who serve the king, who have the ability to have kids taken from them, so that their focus is only on serving the king. So more than likely, what happens to 15-year-old Daniel is that when the eunuch takes him, what that means is Daniel, at 15 years old, is made into a eunuch. So all the hopes and dreams of Daniel one day having a family were crushed. Literally. Literally. Some of you are like, what does that mean? He can't have kids, guys, okay? He can't have kids. Okay, so he's, he's forced to not only conform to this way of living, to be a eunuch in the king's palace, to serve only the king, but he's also forced to learn a new language and a new culture, which this isn't like some fun, learn the language so you can get around. This, isn't, this is the king indoctrinating these young people, brainwashing them, robbing them of their ability to think autonomously, to to think like their parents would have wanted them to think. This is the king's play at robbing all of Judah of their influence, that all these men would only devote themselves to Babylon. Like, this is welcome week on steroids, right? Right? Like pride and spirit at the U of M, you, they march you into a stadium and they tell you what to say, when to say it. Right? It, this is what it is. They tell you where to eat and when to eat. It's 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 Welcome Week that never ends. It goes on to say this in verse five. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and that at the end of that time they were to stand before the king among these. Were Daniel, and then three of his friends, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah, which when it says of the tribe of Judah, it just means like these guys are the best, purebred, like the, the people of greatest nobility in Israel. So it's three years of testing, training, being told what to eat, when to eat it being trained to be in the king's service. They have no autonomy in their lives. This is three years of college, but there's no summer breaks, there's no Christmas breaks, there's no weekends, there's no fun apartment living. It's just school, just physical training. No freedom to choose your classes, no freedom to choose your major, no freedom to think differently than your professors, all for a three-year build-up to one job interview for one job that dictates everything about the rest of your life. This is the place that Daniel is put. And Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar are working to completely indoctrinate Daniel and his friends towards idol worship, towards gluttony, and really towards all things that are evil. If you look at the history of the Babylonian people, they are an evil people. This is what verse 7 says. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. If it wasn't enough that everything about their lives changed, he also changed their names. Which to us would be pretty important, pretty cha- like prominently changing, but to them it meant everything because your name, more specifically the definition of your name, told people who you were and the people you belonged to. And so I just want to walk through their names and their new names. Daniel means God is my judge. But Belteshazzar means Baal, or the fertility god protects the king. Hananiah means God is gracious. Shadrach means under the command of Aku, the moon god. Meshel means there is no one like God. Meshach means there is none like Aku. Azariah means Jehovah, or God has helped. Abednego means servant of Nebo, the Babylonian god of wisdom. Everything about their lives have changed. They're captives. They're prisoners of war. They're far from home in an unrecognizable place, unplanned. Like this isn't how they thought their life would go. I think for us, we can find ourselves in really similar places. Not brainwashed in captivity, but in places we didn't expect to be. Maybe places that are just harder than we expected them to be. Like, if we even think outside ourselves, this isn't the world we would design to live in. Like, if you were given the ability to design a perfect world, I don't think anyone in this room would design the world exactly as it is right now. Because we see it's evil, we, we see that it's hard, we see that it's unexpected. And for some of you, that's college. It's hard. It's unexpected. It didn't go the way you planned. Like you thought college would be the best four years of your life. Just to find out that people maybe aren't actually as nice as you thought they would be. You thought that going to a new place would allow you to shake the identities that you had been given in high school just to, fall, just to see that the shame follows you like a shadow? You thought that college would solve the hurt from high school just to continue to see that it's right there beside you? Or you thought maybe if you went to college and found the right People, You could insulate yourself from the hardships of this world just to find that the darkness of the world is still closing in on you. The places we live in are unexpected. They're hard. We desire for this world to be something more and something better. But we all feel the brokenness whether it's in the people around us, in the situations around us, inside of us. We've all experienced evil, and I think for all of us, life is a little harder than we expected it to be. And if that's not true of you, just wait a few years. I mean, life just creeps up on you, and it's hard. But I think the majority of us recognize that. We recognize that this isn't the way the world should be, that it's hard and harsh, that we live in a world full of sin and suffering, a world that is unexpected and overwhelming, a world that's broken and in parts of it is bad, a world that in some senses is actually a lot like Babylon. Maybe God wants to teach you one thing tonight and that one thing is that we don't actually live in Judah in the story. We live in Babylon in the story. Like, yeah, Babylon did exist 2,600 years ago, but maybe in a way Babylon still exists today because we're experiencing it right now. That we're all far from our true and better heavenly home. So the question is not how do I make Babylon home, but how do we work and wait while we live in Babylon? How do we work and wait while we're in Babylon? To answer that question, we're going to see how Daniel does it. This is what Daniel 8 says, 1-8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asks the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Remember, Daniel is supposed to be given specific food at a specific time. And there's no way of going against the king. But there's something about this food that Daniel's given that he doesn't feel comfortable with. We don't know exactly what that is. Maybe it was... Food that was against the the Jewish customs of the time. So the way God told them to eat, maybe it was food that was against that. Maybe it was food that had been blessed by other gods or had been offered as sacrifices to other gods. We're we're not really sure exactly why Daniel wouldn't eat the food, but we know that it went against his conscience. We We see that Daniel believed eating this food would compromise his integrity. So he makes a deal with the eunuch in charge. He says, for 10 days, let me have a new diet and see how I do. New diet and see what happens. So this is what verse 12 says. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. So some of you are wondering, like, is this why my Christian roommate is a vegan? No. Uh, you can you can follow the Daniel diet. You just don't have to. It's just what's happening in Babylon. Verse thirteen. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh all the youth who ate the king's food. Fast forward to the end of their three-year testing period. This is what verse 20 says. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. This is their, their three-year job interview. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So God radically blesses Daniel and his friends. I mean, let's be honest. Now they're 18 years old. They have no business serving in the court of a Babylonian king. These are teenage boys from Judah who for the last three years have eaten vegetables and drank water exclusively. And there are these like incredible men that are smart, that have great physical ability, that look incredible. So how did they become great? These men are great men. How did they become great? Like we actually believe the Bible is true that they ate vegetables for three years. It started as ten days. Another, another 10 days. Another, another 10 days. For three years, all they ate were vegetables. All they drank were water. For three years, they refused to compromise their integrity. So, what does that mean for you? How do you become great? How do you become a Daniel in Babylon? How do you become a person of character and a person of integrity? How do you become someone that does great things in a great way for the kingdom of God? How do you become light in the darkness of Babylon? How do you become all that God has made you to be? The fullness of what God has made you to be, the answer has been on the screen all night. The way that you become a godly person in the future is through faithfulness today. The way you become a godly person in the future is through faithfulness today. So what is faithfulness? Here's the definition I'm going to operate on tonight. Faithfulness is doing the next right thing. Faithfulness is doing the next right thing. The way you become a person of character, a person of greatness, a person that God has made you to be 30 years from now, is doing the next right thing three minutes from now. The way you become great is that you're faithful immediately. That's not the tendency of our hearts or the teaching of culture. Like all of us, we want to climb our way to the top as fast as we can get there. We want to have prominence without making and keeping promises. We want to develop our capacity, our ability to do things without developing our character. We want to grow our knowledge, puff up our knowledge without growing our wisdom. We want to live influential lives that matter but don't want to go through the steps to get there. Here's how you can think about this. Think how popular it is that like on your social media or like on ads on websites, there are like get-rich-quick schemes, right, where it's like, maybe it's like LinkedIn, right? It says, here's my 10-step plan to become a millionaire, and you like click on it, and steps one through five are like super easy, right? It's like download this app. You're like, I'm going to be a millionaire in a matter of hours, And, like, step five or six is, like, really hard. But everyone clicks clicks on it because everyone wants to get rich fast. Everyone wants to, like, have deep pockets and not work hard for it. That's just not how the world works. Like, the way you get rich is that you save and invest your money for a long time. You work hard, and you let it grow over time. It's doing little steps along the way, and then you'll you'll become rich. And that's the same thing with our character. That's the same thing with becoming great in the kingdom of God. To change the world for the gospel, or even to become a person of influence is not to have great hopes and dreams for what you'll say when you're given the opportunity, but it's small steps of obedience now. It's steps towards becoming the person God wants you to be now. The way you become a generous person is not dreaming of the big check you'll write when you become rich, but it's giving of yourself when you don't feel like you have that much to give. The way you become a person of influence is not drumming up a rally cry for hundreds, but just loving the one or two people God has placed in your life. The way you become a person of character that people look at and they're like, that's a good person, is not turning it on when the spotlight comes on you, but is doing the right thing when no one's watching. So what does that mean for you today. It's meeting the need that you see tonight. It's praying the prayer that only you can pray tomorrow. It's saying the encouraging word when we stand up at salt to, to greet each other. It's opening your Bible even when you have an 8 a.m. tomorrow or next week. It's signing up to serve even if you think it'll go on the scene or unnoticed, It's choosing to forgive a friend who hurt you, even if they don't say that they're sorry. It's having the hard conversation with your friend in love that you know you probably should have, but you think it's going to be really hard and you're scared. It's choosing to go to campus group. Even when you got a lot on your plate and there's a midterm this week, it's choosing to go. It's not just showing up at campus group. It's coming in and, and confessing your sin, telling people what's hard, the stuff that happened the night before. It's doing the next hard, risky, costly, right, and obedient thing that's right in front of you. That's the way to become a great person. The road to godliness is not flashy. It's faithful. Think of Daniel. It would have been easy to say, I think God wants me in a prominent place, and so I'm going to eat the food. I'm going to drink from the king's cup. But Daniel knew that God cared more about his personal piety than his public position. God cared more about the type of person Daniel was becoming Then the place where God, like God's like, I'll take care of the place where I have you, but I care about the person that you're becoming. And what we see in Daniel 1 is that God honors those who honor him. It's not always in the way we expect. It's not always in the way we want. But God honors those who honor him. Like, I'm telling you, everyone in this room, everyone in this room, wants to change the world, wants to be a hero, wants to be great, wants to be remembered as being a person of high character. My fear is that few people want to do the next right thing in front of them, want to be faithful to the thing that's in front of them. And so I'm just wondering, what if this room, what if this room right here, Mercy Vineyard tonight, If this room committed to doing the next right thing in front of them, to extending the next blessing, to to saying the next right word, to to praying the next prayer that needs to be prayed, what would it look like for us all to follow the next step of faithfulness that God has for us? To be a kind person today, to be an honest person today, to be a generous person today, Today, to be a person of integrity today, to be a person who walks in obedience today. Don't settle for the dreams you think God might have for you one day and living only for those when he's called you to a specific place to walk in obedience today. I think all of us, for all of us, the next right thing isn't necessarily displayed publicly I think for a lot of us it looks like going into our room, shutting the door, and going before God himself on our knees that's what daniel does let's look back at verse eight, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself here's what that means before Daniel was given the opportunity to drink from the to eat from the king's bread or drink from the king's cup he got on his knees before God and promised God, I will be a person of character and integrity no matter where you bring me in my life. Daniel was committed to being a person of character. And what Daniel knew is that character is formed in quiet spaces before it's displayed in crowded places. Characters formed in quiet spaces before it's displayed in crowded places. Daniel knew to, that to be great, he had to get on his knees before the true and worthy king. And there's only one king that's worthy of Daniel's allegiance and that's worthy of your allegiance. And so despite Daniel being in a new place with a new diet, a new dialect, and a new name, Daniel would not acknowledge any other king than, than was the true holy king of the world, that is King Jesus. So Saul Company, what do you need to resolve before God? What promise do you need to make? What prayer do you need to pray in quiet places? What's the commitment you need to make before God? Do you need to say, God, my life is yours? Do you need to say, God, I now will release control. Do you need to say, God, you get to dictate how I spend my time and how I view other people? Do you need to make a promise before God that says, God, the authority of my life is no longer mine, it's yours? And not only do you need to pray that prayer, but you need to become the type of person that displays that to other people that follows through on your prayers before God. Even if it's costly, even if it's hard, even if it causes embarrassment. That like Daniel, you need to get on your knees in a quiet space, make a commitment before God so that you can become a faithful presence in Babylon. So as I close, I want to clarify something. I think it's easy that we look at the story of Daniel This chapter and the chapters ahead and think the book of Daniel is all about Daniel's faithfulness to God. Daniel's obedience to God. But actually the foundation of this story is God's faithfulness to Daniel. Is God honoring Daniel. You see in the book of Daniel we get a glimpse at the influence Daniel has. We're going to continue to see that in this book. But it never comes to full fruition. But the hope of Daniel's life, for his people to be free and for the true king to be placed on the throne. But our hope is that the story of Daniel does not end in the last pages of Daniel. Because if you fast forward 600 years and you go back to Judah, where the story started, we see a new man is born. Matthew 2 says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or men of nobility, from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. In all likelihood, these men from the east came from the city of Babylon, Because throughout all of Daniel's life, it was not about how he would be perfectly faithful to Babylon, but how a better Daniel, a better man, would come and be perfectly faithful to a darker, more far-off Babylon. Daniel's faithfulness was an arrow pointing to the faithfulness of Jesus. So for you, The application is not be the savior of the world. Don't be the savior of a dark world, but see the savior of the world. See Jesus, the one who is perfectly faithful to you far before you could ever be faithful to him. The one who frees us from the captivity of sin. The one who promises to bring us out of our exile to our true and better home. The only king that is worth getting on your knees and bowing your life before. So let's pray for that. God, give us the promises we need to pray before you. God, give us the words we need to offer to you. God, I want to be a person of character. I want to be a a person that walks in the fullness of what you have for me, God that becomes the type of person that honors you with my actions, that uplifts you with my words, that displays you in the quiet spaces of my life. So God, help me to do the next right, obedient thing. God, empower me by your spirit, and God, when I inevitably fall short of that, God, when I inevitably don't live up to all that you want me to be, would I remember that the goal of my life is not about my faithfulness to a dark world, but Jesus' faithfulness to me? So God, would that be the banner over Saul Company? That we would be people that stumble forward trying our best to honor you, King Jesus, because you have first saved us from our captivity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.